0: You're listening to The Dice Men Cometh, broadcast live to air on EDGE Radio 99.3 FM and proudly sponsored by LFG Australia. The Dicemen Cometh! We are back. It feels like it's been quite some time since the three of us Dicemen were here
1: in a studio... We've been a lot in the same room of late, but not in this <laughs> studio—that's for sure. Oh, and so Here it begins. take uh, over. It so begins. All it begins. right. Oh Welcome to the Dice Men Plagueoth.
2: Yes. I think tonight, because yes, we have come back from what was an epic weekend of gaming—long weekend, even. Yep. Uh, at the the convention on the border,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
2: BorderCon, which is typically an annual mainstay of ours, but it was the first one that happened since 2019. Yep. So it's been a little bit of a gap, but we are back. We are now mostly healthy.
0: (laughs) Well, we're definitely COVID free, if nothing else, finally. It has taken quite a few days. And so apologies, certainly from myself. I still got a little bit of a cough, as you might have guessed, sounding a little bit nasally. It is very cold and dark here in Tasmania. We've just had the big dark mofo and everything. And of course, we haven't been able to attend any of it because we've all been isolating our own little games rooms. And you've yeah. been coughing up some og-ogs, I think, haven't mm. you, Mark?
1: Yeah, um, I still sound completely normal, which is fine. Just don't get my wife to phone in, because she sounds like a 1970s comedian at the moment. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about board games, card games, role-playing games, and any games you can play on, around, or in to do with a table. We've been playing a lot of late, and we're going to have months and months and months of fun stuff to talk to you about, but we're going to talk about... Some award nominees tonight. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of them, aren't we, Garthy, We sure are.
2: So we've been trying to talk about the first particular game for a long time, but other games have just been getting in the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's called Living Forest, and, Leon, you are finally going to talk us through this. You've had this little preparation prepared for... Months? Yeah, it was,
1: a, it was a few months ago, and I may have deleted that document and had to do the same thing again <laughs> yesterday. But either way, it is here, right in front of me.
2: So essentially what we're doing in this episode is looking at the, the Spiel nominees. So we've got the Spiel as Yara's Awards that are soon to be announced in only a, a, a mid-July, so pretty pretty soon. Uh, and we're talking Living Forest, which is absolutely one of the games that is going to be up for the, the Kenner Spiel, the Gamers Game, up against uh, Dune Imperium and Cryptid. Mm. And then, Mark, you are going to educate us about Cascadia. I am, which is actually the Spiel nominated game alongside Scout and Top Ten. Yes, I'll chime in with a bit of Scout just so that we've got a little bit of education going on that particular game. And our review of Top Ten is it just sounds like Wavelength, but we can't get a copy of it, and we will talk about it when we can. I guess is that, mm-hmm. is that sort of how, how our review of Top yeah. Ten is going to go.
0: Yeah, I think so. And look, probably without any further of the adoing. We should throw to a break because it is episode tree, tree, tree. Wow. Three trees, 333. For those of you who maybe listen to other podcasts, you might have heard Garth and I on the 400th episode of The Spiel doing a special guest segment there. Check that out if you can. But before, before I start a coughing fit, I better throw to a track. you on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dicemen come earth. Hello everyone, it's Mark here, just joining you in a break in the action to let you know how you can get more Dice Men Cometh. What? There's more? Absolutely, there is. You may have heard rumors of our secret episodes. Well, now it's not a secret, and I want to tell you how you get access to them. All you have to do is join us on Patreon. And not only will you be able to access these amazing secret episodes, which our current Patreons have been raving about, 90 to 120 minutes of fun and frivolity, all sorts of interactions with Patreon listeners, and also some red-hot top tens, it's a much more relaxed, chatty style, from the normal podcast. And everyone who has been listening has really been enjoying them. Not only that, you get... A pair of exclusive dice. When you join up, you'll automatically be entered into a quarterly friends only board game giveaway. And as I said, you can ask questions and interact with us as part of the secret episodes. And finally, you get to earn the title of official friend of the Dice Men just by supporting us. We appreciate the support so much of everyone that already does, and we love producing these extra episodes for you. I'm sure you would love it if you aren't already listening. So please consider checking out patreon.com forward cometh and seeing if you think it's a value for you. Anyway, back to the show.
2: Well, there you go. That was Grinspoon with Sick Fest, which is not going to be the upcoming change to the BorderCon name. No.
0: <laughs> but possibly may have <laughs>
2: Mute your mic, Mark. <laughs> Funny. You mm. are with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and we have a jam packed show full of jam. And Leon, yes. you are going to get us on the right track by starting with Living Forest. Over to you.
1: Yes, so Living Forest is a game that we played quite a few months ago and then we recently took to BorderCon to make sure that there were plenty of copies there for people to play. And oh, was it played a lot? Because when we were first introduced to this game by our good friend and sponsor Charles at LFG, who we had a great time um, playing some games with and having a chat with at BorderCon. Had a great night at Ricochet Robots, which we'll talk about (laughs) at some point down the line when my $100 German version eventually turns up. But Charles sent us a copy of Living Forest a couple of months ago, way before the nomination or even a sniff of a nomination because he said, lads, this game I don't know, I can't remember if he actually played it at the time. He said, I like the look of it, and she's got a cheap selling price, which a lot of games these days, you know, with shipping and the way the world is, is not a thing. But mm. this game was cheap, and he liked the look of it. So he said, Lads, have a play and tell me what you think. And we're doing that now, Sir Charles. So, Living Forest by Ludo Nauts, which is a French company behind the Lewis and Clark game and Cult Express, two games approved very much by the Dice Men. It plays between two and four. We haven't played it with two, I'm afraid. We have played it with three and four. And it plays around 40-ish minutes. And I'd say that's about spot on. Even for a learning game, you're looking at under an hour. Oh, Which me? is nice. It is a push-your-luck slash deck-building game. Two things that we quite enjoy around mm. here. But what are you doing? Well, in Living Forest, you play as a spirit of nature. Trying to save the forest and its sacred tree from Anibi. Bloody Anibi, always causing trouble. <laughs> so annoying. So many games, him causing trouble. Uh, his relentless attacks... You have one of three different ways to do this and they coincidentally are also the three ways that the game will end by planting 12 different protect 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 <laughs> Protective trees. trees by collecting twelve sacred flowers to awaken to awaken Siniki, the great guardian of the forest, or by extinguishing twelve fires to permanently repel Anibi. The uh, the COVID brain fog
0: still going around in there, Leon. <laughs> yes,
1: that and the raindrops on this page have kind of smeared it a little oh, bit, which no. don't help the situation. So. In this game, it's going to be broken up into three different phases. The first thing you're going to be doing is the Guardian Animal phase. This is where we're all going to simultaneously have a bit of push your luck. So what you're going to do is you're going to draw cards and turn them face up one after the another. And there's going to be a whole stack of Guardian Animals, which you'll be able to get more of as the game goes along. They're your personal stack. Uh, You'll be going this and they'll form your helpline. They'll give you all different little symbols for different abilities that you can do. However. You can, we'll have to stop at some point, because some of these creatures, some of these dark creatures, also might be in the pocket of one Mr. Inibi. And they have what are called solitary symbols on them. So if, as you're pulling cards out, you pull out three solitary symbols, you're done. You bust. And that means on your turn, you only get to do one action. However, if you stop beforehand... You get to do two actions. So that's where the push your last aspect comes into it.
2: And I really just like this as a mechanic. It's so simple. You know, in this game, which is very family friendly and has a beautiful theme going on, you know, you're summoning these creatures of the forest to help you do a thing. You don't know necessarily which creatures are going to turn up, but just imagine you're sitting in the forest going and all these various animals are turning up. So you're flipping them over blind and seeing what kind of benefit they can do. And I just think it's a really elegant, simple way for everyone to be involved initially because, as you say, it's all happening simultaneously.
1: Yeah, and since this is a game that has been nominated, that has recommended to families around the world to play, it needs to be mentioned that, like I said before, it's a cheap price point no matter where you get it from, hopefully from LFG, wink, wink. But it also, it looks amazing. The production quality of this game is top 10 and it fills an entire table. For a game that costs about 40 Australian dollars, that's mind-numbing. So on your turn, you'll be able to do uh, one or two of the five available actions. You'll be able to take a fragment tile, which those fragment tiles can come in handy later, so they can help you survive that push-your-luck mechanic a little bit longer, or they can help get rid of some evil, nasty fire cards, which can come into your deck a little bit later, and I'll tell you how. You can also add animals using the sun points that you've acquired, this is the way that you'll add more cards to your deck. You'll be able to extinguish fire with the water that you've uh, curated because each round there's going to be more fire tokens that came out and you'll be able to get rid of that so Anibi doesn't burn the place down as he tends to. You'll also be able to plant one of the protective trees. Now, these trees that you can buy, you'll need different tree points to be able to buy them. They cost between 1 to 12, but you'll not be able to get the same one twice. They're all unique. You have to go for one of them or not basically. And they all have individual special abilities on them that once you have them, then you will have that bonus forever. You'll be able to have an extra points to buy some animals later, an extra points to, you know, whatever else from there on later, which is good. And also, when you fill up lines on this protective plant board, you'll get even more special abilities. But if you are lucky enough to get 12 planned points, and we all want 12 plant points, oh, let's, let's be honest, mm-hmm. uh, if you do that, you can actually do two of the same action in a round, which you're not allowed to, Mark, don't give me that look, before you get that special tree. And that can make a big deal in the end game of this, which for a game that's only half an hour, is gonna come up on okay. you pretty quickly. Or you can move on the spirit board. Now on the spirit board, you're each going to have a little standee. You're going to be moving it around. And what happens is that you'll be able to land on a symbol and you'll be able to do that action, which will be one of the previous actions that I said. And this is a way that you can do another action twice, which, as I said, you can't normally do. You can't do two water actions. You can't do 2 buy bi-actions. But if you move around on this uh, spirit board and land on one, that counts as still as the spirit board move, so you can do it twice. But more importantly, this spirit board comes in very much handy for the end of this game when things get down to the nitty-gritty and the tooth and nail. Because if you jump over another player's standee, you get to take one of their like individual like special endgame victory point things. One of them is for the fire, one of them is for the plants, one of them for is for the flowers one of those three ways the games can end and this is really important at the end of the game you want to make sure to be able to jump over people steal them off them as well as get ahead of everyone so they don't steal them off you
2: and that can be a way where you basically steal the win yes it it is just oh if i've got the ability to jump over multiple people i can do a thing that'll get me a couple of extra bonuses bang i get to the 12 that i need to and ha, 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 you didn't think I was going to win, but I did.
1: It's not even stealing the win. It is the way that you will win. Because yes. the way this game works is that every turn, you are doing something. You're not going to have turns completely wasted. You'll be able to build a tree. You'll be able to get some fire tokens, which won't be able to be taken away from you. you everyone is slowly moving towards one of those three victory conditions. So it's just a matter of somebody can get on that board, do lots of jumping, and getting there a bit quicker, which is what they're going to have to do when they start to see somebody building up one of their other victory conditions
0: and I think what I have noticed is beginner players do tend to forget about that spirit board yep. and moving and how powerful it can be because you want to get new cards into your deck you want to get the trees down on your tree plant board Yeah, you, you want it you're concentrating on doing those things and potentially you don't want to waste your move and also if you don't have many Cards with the move symbol, the spiral, you may not be able to move very far. So it does tend to get a little bit forgotten about. But Do you think beginner players think...
2: also include dice dice men, Mark?
0: <laughs> if, if a certain dice men maybe forgot about using that board in his in their first game, then that may include them. And just out of interest, how did you go in your first game, Mark? Uh, I definitely lost, <laughs> but I did a lot better <laughs> after that when I realised how important it actually is. And as you said, you know, if you could jump over two or three other players, you could potentially steal two or three other winning bits And you could go from 9 points to 12 winning points in one one single hop. Yeah, it's massive.
1: And then simply, at the end of the turn, a going to attack again. If there's any fire left that people haven't extinguished, which is very rare, then people have to have some certain um, fire extinguishing cards with them. Otherwise, they're going to get one of those evil fire cards into their hand, like I said. And you can only get rid of those from the fragment
2: tokens. They're basically dead cards. They just give you a solitary symbol, and they do not add anything. They are horrible.
1: Yeah, not fun. Uh, and then yeah Anibi attacks the old sacred tree and whatnot adding fire to the to- into the middle for the next round you will refresh the animals that have been bought and because of what rows they're in because there's three different levels of cards that you can buy whatever row they get taken from that is the level of intensity of fire that gets put there the next round which is a really simple way that a cleanup at the end of the round straight away brings you into the start of the next round there's no okay it's cleanup and then set up. It's just all at one. It's just bang, 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 bang. Mm. And then, yeah, everyone chucks their card line into their discard. And then you go again. And you do that probably five or six or more rounds until one person gets to one of those three victory conditions. Most likely the filling up of the uh, plant board or doing the fire. Because I've still yet to see anybody fill it up by the flowers, which is kind of the extra long game. But that's one that can be done you know, slowly. Because it's your own individual board. No one can stop that, the cards you put out. People can take other stuff from you, but not those. And, yeah, that's how you go. And I think
0: at first impression, this game can be a bit of a surprise because it looks very family-friendly. It's got lots of lovely art. Did we mention the gorgeous little animals? Mm. Each card has, card has a different animal. And, you know, there's Aussie animals. So there's, like, the magic kidma. A kidma. And the magic. And the Plumptopus. Magic yeah. Plumptopus. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the art is really lovely and sweet. It's all very nice and green. It looks quite kid-friendly, and I am i must admit that when I looked at it first up, I was like, nah, kid's game. And I didn't think that it had the depth there. Now, don't get me wrong, it's not a really deep game, but there's enough there that, as we said, at aforementioned BorderCon, this was getting to the table very, very regularly, We had people like our friend Carl come back and play it three or four times and teach it to other people Um, so season for seasoned gamers there is something in there now yes you may not play it over and over again but it's certainly got something in there i did think because you know i am a, a a mad deck builder i did think oh my usual complaint about deck builders is there's not enough deck thinning but the other thing in this is deck thinning is potentially bad because the more cards you've got in there. In between those solitary cards, the more symbols you're going to get to play with. That's right. And and the other
2: thing is uh, you've also got cards that will counteract those solitary symbols. So there are yep. certain animals that basically have the, the opposite symbol, which extends your line. And you've also got those fragment tokens, which, as you say, allow you to sort of <laughs> discard one of the, the bad cards that you've drawn. The other simple wrinkle I like is that when you're collecting an animal card from the tableau and adding it to your deck... It's going face oh, yes. down, but on the top of your draw pile. Mm. So it is definitely going to be the next or almost the next card that you're going to draw. So you can start to have a bit of a plan in place for what your next turn is going to look like.
1: Yeah, so that's the good thing. It is a deck builder. But as you said, since that card's is going on the top of your deck, you know you're getting it next round. It's not going to be five or six rounds once you get down to your discards. But also, um, as Mark said, you don't really need deck thinning in this game because it's so short. You don't really have to worry about it. And your opening set of cards are completely fine. They may only have, say, one symbol of you know something good on it, whereas the more expensive cards have multiple symbols. But they're still worth having in your line. They're not going to hurt. So yeah, um, this is a game. Like I said, when Charles sent us to us, we were like, yeah, we were all quite surprised with it. And when we got it to Bordicon, when we first got there, the day before Bordicon officially started, we all got into the room. There was probably only about you know fifteen twenty people there, not that many. Year yet. Not many people have started filling the shelves with the games because the shelves hadn't been built yet. <laughs> um, and we we're like, what are we going to do? And the first thing we said from a group of guys that very rarely get the chance to play the same game twice due- because of the nature of the show, we we're like, do you just want to play a game of Living Forest again? And we were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. And that's the first thing what we did. And we we're all happy to do so. I played it again later that night and taught three other people and was... Happy to do it. And I, out of all of us, am even more the person of the, I've played that, I don't want to play it again. I want to play all the new stuff all the time and was happy to play it again. And a lot of people out there that listen to this show will know that I am quite the expansion uh, sex worker, I believe is the (laughs) official term for it. I love me expansions and the the, the threat of future expansions. Mm. This game, as much as any game I've ever seen, they could announce 10 expansions for this tomorrow which is just more cards maybe add a few modules here and there if you want it to make it even more more gamey game if you want but you don't probably don't need to but it's it's forever expanding. yeah
2: look i think we need to move into our little review but we we will we'll sort of review briefly here and talk about how we think it's going to compete with the other okay. games um that, it, that it's up against for um at, towards the end of the episode um but first of all Go and pick up this game purely for the price point and the quality of the game that you're going to get, as you yeah. say, Leon. It's it's around about that forty to fifty dollars from from any real um, sort of gaming store, and obviously we have our affiliations and we recommend you use them because they're awesome. However, just the quality and the the number of things you get in this box. You know, the sheer volume of art that's on the cards, the little tree market that oh, is yeah, that's amazing. 3D sort of you know, slotted together and it, and it stands up and makes it look really nice, all the player boards, all of this stuff. You get a lot for a very little amount of money, which is not something I can recall saying very often. No. Uh, but at the end of it, you're also getting a really solid game.
1: Yeah, for one game that's under $50, I mean, the last time I bought a Marvel Legendary expansion before I ended up selling that game, I think was like, 200 cards as an expansion, and that was like $42, which is just insanity. So, um, yeah, I can't recommend this highly it's enough for people out there that have families, even if not, even if you're a serious gamer group, it's a nice little palate cleanser if you've got half an hour to play it once you get into it, and it's a game that, like I said, once the expansions start flowing, I think this game is going to be around four years to come. Okay, well, we'll talk about, as we said, all the nominees
0: together briefly at the end, but for the moment, that's Living Forest, so let's throw to do a track because we've got so many more games to talk about. You are with The Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio 99.3 FM, and we'll be back shortly.
1: Hi, I'm Jamie Stegmaier from Stonemaier
0: Games, and you are listening to The Dice Men Cometh Podcast.
2: Well, continuing the theme, that was Sad Sickness by Alex Van act You're with the Dice Men Cometh on Edge Radio ninety nine point three FM. Mark, you want to talk about a game that we also were able to play at Sickfest, fest We shouldn't recall it
1: that. No. It might not... catch on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Much like it the sickness that
0: <laughs> But me. yes, I will uh, be talking about Cascadia designed by Randy Flynn. And it is his first published game with art by Beth Sobel. We know her well, Uh, obviously the art from Wingspan, Viticulture, the new version of Arboretum, Calico, so many things. And you do almost look at it and go, oh, it's got to be Beth Sobel art. It just has that that, that look about it published by FlatOut Games and AEG Cascadia is a tar-laying and token drafting game which features the habitat and wildlife of the Pacific Northwest. Now, Leon. Hello. Did you know that the Cascadia bioregion is a real place? Yes, in the Pacific Northwest, isn't it? It is. Specifically. It's it's referred referred to to... as the Pacific Northwest (laughs) bioregion. It's where Nirvana's from, isn't it? Um, Pacific Northwest. And it (laughs) encompasses all the state of Washington, which is where Seattle is, which is where Nirvana did, in fact, come from. Um, and all but the southeastern corner of Idaho, where the potatoes come from, and also portions of Oregon, California, Nevada, Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, Yukon, and British Columbia. Yeah. So it's got Alaska, Canada, and continental US. Well, we're the... we
2: moving into our our final thoughts on it now.
0: Uh, no, I'm just giving you some geographical facts, guys.
1: And okay. the moose is the international sign of grunge music. We know that. There you go.
0: So in this game, Cascadia. You take turns building out your own terrain and populating it with wildlife. So you start with three hexagonal habitat tiles and there are five different types of habitat. And on a turn, you choose a new habitat tile that's paired with a wildlife token. So a round wooden token with a picture of one of the five types of animal in the game. You place the tile next to one of your other tiles and you place a token on an appropriate spot. So each tile, has a picture of one or more animals on it, and only the pictured animals can go on the tile. Um, as I said, some tiles have up to three different types of animals. Some have only one. You can uh, place at most one of the tokens on a habitat. You'll have a choice of from a display of four tiles and four tokens. So they're matching pairs at random, so you make a choice of which token and tile you would take, unless... You have a nature token, which can be called a leaf token or a pine cone to spend. So, if you've got one of those, you can take your choice
1: of tiles and tokens. Leon. And from the game that I observed you guys playing, um, the salmon just never came out. Is that that was the issue there, Mark? Uh,
0: well, we had a bit of a problem with the salmon running out. Yeah, That's there,
1: there, for sure. There were some salmon issues. Well, yes. no,
2: there are equal numbers of tokens for each of the animals yes. so i think there's 20 tokens of each animal type in there where was the
1: salmon garth where well
2: the... mark and, and ran who was also playing us were, were both trying to get the biggest longest and
0: wiggliest salmon run and they they almost exhausted the well supply. look i'll let i'll talk about the salmon runs in a minute so just let me finish about the how the game works okay so now ideally like most good tile laying games you want to put your tiles to create large patches of a similar area so you've got your mountains your rivers your forests your did i say mountains anyway there's five different types whatever they are um because of course you you want to have large areas firstly because they look nice but because in a tile lane game you like things to match up but it's no carcassonne it's not like the sides have to match okay did i mention the the uh, tiles are hexagonal what yes which is also not like carcassonne But basically you wanna create wildlife corridors of habitat. Now, why? Well, as I said, because they look nice, but also because you get to score for the largest area of each type of habitat in your own particular player board area that's in front of you. So on your score sheet, you will score your biggest river, your biggest area of mountains, your biggest area of forest and so on and so forth for whatever the five are, because there's two I can't remember for some reason. But then, if you've got the largest of that particular group for everyone, then you'll, <laughs> excuse me, you'll also get more bonus points. Now, at the same time, you want to put your wildlife tokens in specific patterns. How do you determine the patterns? Well, clearly, the patterns that give you the most points. But how? I hear you ask, Leon. Uh-huh, how? How do I get points? Well, there are the six type of Animals is it six? I'm sure it says six, six or five. Um, but for each of the type of animals or the wildlife, there are four different scoring cards. So it uh, the game provides a bit of a degree of randomization and variability and replayability by having, for example, with bears, you might have one uh, bear score card that says you want bears to be in couples because then they're going to make little bear babies. Or you might have another card that says, well, I want bears to be in packs of three because it's mummy and two babies. And there's four different variations basically for each. With the salmon, we mentioned the salmon run. So the salmon run card, if you like, wants to have the longest contiguous stretch of salmon up to seven tokens in a row to give you the maximum amount of points. So you'll have a scoring card for each type of wildlife to determine how the points are worked out at the end. So maybe... With your hawks maybe they want to be completely away from other hawks or maybe they want to be able to see hawks in a straight line but have at least a couple of animals between hawks, because hawks don't like to get too close because they've got sharp beaks and sharp claws and they might do fighting stuff (laughs) who knows foxes apparently like to throw lots of parties and invite lots of different animals around (laughs) but sometimes they want it to come as singles because it's that sort of party or sometimes they want them to come as
1: couples because it's a different sort of party. It depends on that scoring card. Well, the fantastic Mr. Fox seemed like a quite nice guy that liked getting people around for a bit of a... He did, okay. yes. So basically,
0: you know, I've, I've only taken six minutes now and I've told you how the game works, how the scoring works. Now, to me, the game has uh, real simplicity in its rules, but it does have a little bit of tactical depth because, uh, as I said, when you take the token, uh, the, the tile... You can put the tile anywhere on your board. When you take the token, well, you can only put it where you see the picture of that animal, but as, as you, because the tile and the token aren't going in the same spot, you start to get more variability of where you can put things and where you wanna, you know, you might wanna maximize your foxes or maximize your salmon or whatever. It gives you some interesting things to think about. For yeah, the like
2: most- it, it really does. Yeah. Because you're you're constantly making these choices around, okay, there's four face up tiles, I'm going to have to take one of those. And there's four top-up, face-up animals. I'm going yep. to have to take one of those. And if I haven't got one of those pine cone tokens, whatever mm. they're called, my option is I have to take, I need that animal, yep. but I don't want that tile, yep. but I have to take it because I don't know when that next animal is going to come out again. So you, you're constantly sort of struggling to go, what is my best possible option yeah. here? Or do I want to cash in one of those tokens? I've got to potentially take that token that is not associated with that tile. Yep. Or... I can even spend them to basically do a bit of a refresh and Mm. and refresh the tokens there to be able to hopefully get that last salmon that I'm after.
0: Yeah. And the thing is you always have to place the tile, but you actually don't have to place the tokens. So um, unfortunately you can't do it the other way around where you might not want to put that tile down, but of course you always want to expand your habitat area. So you do have a bit of choice, but it can be quite interesting. Now for the most part though, it is a bit of a multiplayer solitaire experience apart from as with a lot of the games that we describe like this when someone takes the thing that you want that you're going to put in your place that's really the only interaction with other players and so perhaps you start to need to keep more of an eye on people towards the end of the game when the resources start to get a bit scarce or as you said leon when you're looking for that seventh salmon to maximize your salmon points and of course, that's when those pine cones really come in handy. Now, between the visual appeal of the game and the simplicity of the play, I can see why it has been so popular and successful. Now, of course, we've mentioned it's it's one of the nominees for the Spiel des Jahres for twenty twenty two. It also won the twenty twenty one Golden Geek Light Game of the Year. It was also nominated for the twenty twenty one Golden Geek Solo Board Game uh, and the twenty twenty one Golden Geek Best Board Game Artwork and Presentation. And it was also nominated for something called the Cardboard Republic Architect L'Oreal, another award that was nominated for. Um, Look, we're going to get more into the review when we talk about the games together. But look, I'm glad I played it. Um, I'm glad you guys played it Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, I, I could certainly see that for someone who likes a more media or more engaging game, it's not for me. But I can see that it certainly sits into that gatewayish type area with garth you might have heard of this ticket to ride game ah. or carcassonne of katana or any of those other traditional gateway games now for me i've already got a very attractive nature game that is a sort of a gateway game in parks so for me i don't feel like i'm going to be adding something uh, like this to my collection but i think for those people who
1: um look at it think it looks nice it is worth a try there's a little bit happening there but, yeah, Leon? Do you think it would have done better in your mind if it was called Maximise the Salmon? Because <laughs> I think it's a much better title. <laughs> I was specifically told not to make Mark laugh, but <laughs> I don't care because I didn't get a chance to play this, uh, mainly because of my own accord, because I saw you guys playing it, and yeah, I just wanted to make Mark and
0: laugh. Garth, have you got any more? I mean, I, know, I said, I know we're going to get more into the review towards the end.
1: Oh yeah, look, I think
0: you know, what we need to do is be
2: able to compare it against the other yeah. Spiel des Jahres nominees in Scout and Top 10, but as a standalone game, Again, I played it with you, and I was doing a lot of comparing it to um, God's Love Dinosaurs. Oh, yes. You know, which is, you know, it's it's, it's a similar style tile laying game where you're also putting out animals. You know, that one is a little bit more mm, interesting because you've got prey and predators and dinosaurs thrown into the mix, which is always a cool combination. Um, So I feel like even only playing it once... You've kind of seen everything Mm. that the game has to offer. However, there is a lot of replayability in terms of those various scoring mechanisms, which is where you're going to get it from. So while I'm not excited about this particular game, I can see why it's got its market. I am shocked that it is currently the number one abstract game on Board Game Geek, Mm -hmm. toppling Azul. Now, this just screams again of the the hype of the new and all of this stuff, and it just goes, this does not deserve to be the number one abstract game of all time, especially when the number two game is Azul. That deserves to go back to number one, in my opinion. I can't believe Cascadia is outranking that. I
0: think even, is it the second Azul? Is it Summer Pavilion? Is like number four. Yep. Um, I mean, all the Azuls are up there, although maybe one day we won't talk about the new azul that you (laughs) you played at BorderCon, garth and i know you weren't impressed Um, look to the to an an aside gods love dinosaurs there's a game that not enough people are talking about uh another great game that we got from our sponsor lfg i know your family have loved and then you lent it off to other friends and their families loves it um anyway let's come back and talk about this one a little bit more later when we compare and contrast all those nominees Uh, But in the meantime, I think, wow, we are powering through these reviews. I think we're going to take another break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the third game, Scout. Um, Did I mention you're here with Edge Radio 99.3 FM? We are the Dicemen Cometh and we will be back shortly after this. Hello everyone, Dice Men Mark here with some very exciting news. What would the Dice Men be without dice? If you've played a game with us over the years, you may have scored some of our amazing custom dice. You can also get them when you sign up to support us on Patreon. Now, what better place to get our special custom dice than one of Australia's leading dice suppliers and longtime supporter of the show, Behold Games? Behold Games is suppliers of all sorts of amazing dice, including an incredible variety of polyhedral sets, as well as RPG, games and supplies, and of course, board games. You can check out everything they have to offer, including all the dice at beholdgames.com.au. Please consider supporting this brilliant little Aussie retailer and its owner, Tina! Who is also the organiser of Board Game Cruise Australia, as well as a fantastic person, friend of the Dice Men, and now also our official Dice sponsor?
1: Well, another app song for what we've gone through recently. That was... What was it called again, Garth? <laughs> that was called Party Till Death by
2: Ultramartian, who yes. are a tazzy act.
1: Excellent on Edge Radio 99.3 FM with the Dice Man Come, As I said, we've been playing and partying and all the sickness and all the craziness of late. and we've played yet another one of those nominated games in that Scout, didn't we, Garthy boy?
2: Did we ever say yes to 2022 Spiel des Jahres nominee Scout, which is... A very small ladder climbing game in which cards have two potential values now when you are dealt out these cards you will pick them up you will not rearrange the order of these particular cards that you are dealt no you will look at them and you will go hmm and then you will also potentially look at them a different way because the top left number is gonna be different to the bottom right number because cards have two potential values. And this is the first of a few little interesting decisions that you'll be making every single time a trick or a ladder starts. So in in this game, basically what you're doing is you're competing to not lose and ideally to win. And you're going to be doing that by basically going around and around and around and around and around in the ladder. By that I mean you always have to beat what's tabled. So it's, it's very simple that any Single number has to be higher than the previously played single number and the cards go from one to 10. So if Leon, you play a seven, I need to play an eight or nine or 10. Or I could play a run of two cards, a one and a two, for example, and any run of two will beat any single card. Or I could play a pair because any pair of cards will beat any run of one or two. Or I could do a run of three cards because any run of three cards will beat any... Pear, pear, that's right, and so on and so on and so on. And in this game, there is no maximum combination that you could play. So if you'd been dealt 10 cards in your particular starting hand Mm. and you had a run of one through to 10, you could just go... There it is. I'm all done.
1: Do you have to make those sound effects if you were to do that? If you is get that one in the rules. To ten, absolutely. You need to go, <laughs> blah, 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 and it's spelled out like that, so you can do it. Okay, cool.
2: Good. Definitely. So, the, look, the, the interesting thing is, uh, and a few, a few games do this, is that when you get your cards, you cannot rearrange them. So you are going to be stuck with whatever combination of cards you get, and your job is to try and remove the cards, get rid of them by playing and, and beating the last trick played, so that you're leaving yourself with zero cards left at the end. That's why it's really quite fascinating that the very first decision you're going to make is which orientation do I want the cards to to have? Because thankfully, through a little bit of design um, thought, you'll be able to see what the numbers are if you've turned your hand over. So the top left corner of every card will have the big number, which is, say, a nine, and then it'll have a little number next to it, which is showing that if you turned over this card, this is the value it's going to be. So when you dealt your cards, you can quite easily see, okay, well, I've got this, this handful of absolute garbage, but if I was to turn it around, I'd get a whole bunch of different numbers, and, oh, look, there's a, there's a run of three in there, or there's a pair, or there's some cards I can do something with, which is good.
1: It's a way of taking a mulligan without having to get rid of your entire hand and drawing up a new one. You've just got to flip them over, which I think is quite clever.
2: Yes, it's a good use of cards, a good multi-use. So, But on your turn... You don't just have that one option of trying to beat what was played because a lot of the time you're not going to be able to. This is where it gets its name from. So another option for you is instead of trying to beat what is tabled, you can scout. Scout. And what that means is that you will take either the top or the bottom card of the trick that is currently winning. And if it's only one card, you can take that too. And you will then be able to place that card you have scouted into your own hand in whatever orientation that you like in any place that you like to strengthen your hand. Every time you do that though, you are giving the player whose card you took a victory point. Yep. There are scout tokens and they'll be going around around the table. Now, ultimately in order to win the round, you either need to be the first one who's gonna get rid of all your cards or you need to have played a trick that ultimately no one's been able to beat by the time it comes back to you. And that's kind of all there is to it. This game is really, really simple. You explain it and people go, yeah, okay. And then you play it once and they go, yep, I get it. Yeah. I understand this game. I know how to do it. Let's go. There's one other special little tile that each player gets given every round and it is the, called the scout and play token. And surprise, surprise, it allows you to both scout i.e. collect the card from the winning trick, add it to your hand, and then play your own trick, which has to abide by the rules and has to then be winning and what have you. But that's a really powerful token that you only get to use once per round, but it could be the difference between you winning it or not. And that's kind of it. Yeah. It's a really simple game. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of similarities with a card game that I really like called Crass Carriert, which has very, very similar mechanics. It just doesn't offer... sort of get out of jail free which is the scout mechanic um but again i can see exactly why this is a spiel des yaras nominated game because i can already picture rows and rows and rows of this little box which is basically a deck of cards on every german supermarket shelf Mm. as you're going through your checkout you're going oh yeah i'll pick up a card game and you go blip and there you go
1: yeah that being said i don't know if there's anything about this game that makes it stand out in the slightest from any other of the billion other trick-taking games, or the simple fact that deck of cards, of poker cards, still exist, where there's, you know, quite literally an unlimited amount of games you can play with those. So, and that's when I kind of look at this and go, why is this in there, because why is it any different? But hang
0: on, Leon. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever noticed... Yeah. If you have your handy your poker cards... You can't turn them upside down. You can! And you know what? They've got them the other day. (laughs) Yes, I said said it's similar but not quite the same. It's a clever little twist. Um, Interestingly, both of the sets we saw, I know I saw at least two sets, uh, at BorderCon were the original, I think the German production, which was a super flimsy card, almost like a bit of film it was so flimsy for me it almost
2: was comparable to when you get your parking ticket out of uh, a high-rise parking station you yeah. know it's that kind of sort yeah. of cardboard that, that feels like it would last for about 10 or 15 minutes
0: well we saw our good friend of the show Aos we used his copy now Aos is known to play you know a few card games and his the numbers were actually wearing off now that's not a great sign now, I understand that then the newer version is from Oink Games, who obviously are known for, firstly, for being expensive, yep. but also known for nicer production. And, and I've only seen the pictures, and it's it's obviously it's much brighter, primary colours, everything
1: like that. It's added a theme to it, Mark. It's oh, now got really? a circus theme, which oh. makes no difference whatsoever to the actual game. No, but just on the price point, for example, I've,
2: I've, I've not seen it for sale yet, but mm-hmm. Oink Games, you're lucky to get... A price starting with even a four, yeah, for for a deck of cards. Anecdotally, I've heard that this is
0: more than likely to start with a, a fifty dollar oh, price point. No, no <laughs> more no. than um, Living Forest, more than Living Forest, which
1: takes up an entire table. Yes. Well,
0: surely, surely, some German company is going to print another German version if the original um, company who did the original one isn't. Well, the- look,
2: ultimately, there's not a huge amount more to say about yeah scout i don't think it's a trick-taking game. except no it's a ladder game except in relation to its competitors in the spiel yeah and this is cascadia which you and i have played mark and leon you saw us play yes and then top 10 which is this little card game which hasn't had an english release but essentially it's a card game version similarly similarly uh, to to wavelength, which we mentioned we mentioned a little while ago on the show. Yeah, but it looks very very simple. So I guess what we need to do is first of all let's let's sort of compare Cascadia and Scout in terms of what do we think is going to actually win the spiel.
0: Wow, I mean mm. you couldn't get two games fur, you know further away. I mean one has actually quite a bit of table presence. I'm talking about Cascadia. Looks really nice. You know you you. You put it on the table and you go, yeah, that's something I want to play, it's so nice. But then you look at Scout, particularly that the version we saw, which is just black and white cards, very a bit hard to shuffle because they're so light and filmy. Yep. They're for flying around everywhere. Um, I mean, and top 10 we can't take into consideration, but I just feel like it's, it's, it's the odd one out. For me, I... I know what you're saying about games flying off the shelves in German Target. For me, Cascadia, if I think about if I walk into a Kmart or a Target or something, and I see that on the board game shelf, and I see it there for maybe, if they can get the price point down to something that maybe does start with the four, you know, 45 euros, something like that, um, i got to go for Cascadia just, for, well, for looks, Um, And it, it looks like a real game. I just, as you said, Leon, there could be a million different card games that are just a million little deck boxes
1: I just don't think it's going to stand out. Yeah, at least the one the other year had a llama involved. That that was at least something. (laughs) But yeah, in terms of the picks, all three of them are relatively uninspiring. Not that any of them are necessarily bad games. I only played Scout out of the three. Top 10 looks like an interesting party game to me because I like a party game, Mm. but I already do own Wavelength and it's essentially the same type of game. And Cascadia, I saw you guys play and then thought, well, I don't really need to play it myself because I get the general gist of it, but... Yeah, like from a salesman point of view, if I was a salesperson working in a board game shop, I could sell Cascadia No Trouble based off the artwork Mm. compared to the other three. But then you've got to look at it and go, realistically, it should be probably double the price of those other two games because those other two games are just decks of cards. So when you look at it that way, then possibly a scout or even a top 10. I mean, the name top 10, everyone knows what a top 10 is. So that name, yeah. could, people could go, oh, that's an interesting... It's a name that we know, we know what that thing is. So maybe top 10, I think, is my, possibly my outside I pick to win it, to the, be honest. It's all right, hard well, to
0: know, I was going to say, without being a German family, whether... You're not a German family? No. Oh, okay. What What's that TV show where, you know, we interviewed 50 people in the street and they said this... Family, the feud. family feud. Whether yeah. there's like a German version of that, and it might be called Top Ten.
2: Well, let me let me say first of all, if Leon's selling me Cascadia based on art, I'm not going to his game shop <laughs> because in comparison
1: I, to the other two.
2: Yeah, and I hear what you're saying. You're just wrong because Scout's <laughs> going to win, okay. and the reason Scout's going to win is because it is a very family-friendly, well-known mechanic. Mm. You know, trick-taking, ladder-taking is very well-known. It doesn't need a theme. What it needs to be is small and compact and cheap and enjoyable and popular. I think if you get enough of these on those German Walmarts and Kmarts and Targets with that little SDJ sticker on it, it'll just disappear off the shelves.
0: Is, is ladder taking, is that a genre that only firemen play? I don't know. Possibly. I'm not a fireman. <laughs> Possibly. So, <laughs> so it's a ladder, go. ladder climbing game. So, so,
2: <laughs> so I, think, I
0: think, you know, you'll find that I'll be right. Uh we should we should Are we bookmarking this to say well, Mark says Cascadia uh, Yeah Garth says Scout and yeah. Leon
1: it says top 10, I guess.
0: Wow, so there, there you go. go. So one
1: apiece. So one of, us,
0: one of us will be right,
2: yeah. Excellent. Well, let's move on to uh, the gamers' game, oh, yeah. the, the yeah. biggest gamers', gamer's games. game. Yeah. And this is the the kenner Spiel where we've got Living Forest up against Cryptid up against Dune Imperium. Oh, my goodness. Now, Leon and I, you've we, we've both played all three of those, and we Mark, have you have played um, two of them. You've not not played Cryptid mm-hmm. yet. Who wants to go first in their thoughts oh, about wow. who is going to win this particular award?
1: Well, I won't. I'll just tell you quickly about Cryptid for anyone oh, out there okay. that doesn't Great. know. So it's a game that is. Quite simple in that what a cryptid is is the equivalent of like your Bigfoot, your Sasquatch, a uh, fictional, possibly, animal that people go hunting for. And in this game, everyone's going to be given a certain rule to do with this board in front of you. It's going to be like, uh, the cryptid is definitely three spaces away from a bit of water, um, and it's never two spaces from a mountain. That's the bit of information you know. Everyone else at the table also knows a bit of information similar in kind to that, but slightly different. Based off those informations, there is only one spot on this entire board that you're trying to get to, mm. that you're all trying to find. So you know what you've got, and you're trying to work out from asking people questions on your turn about where they think it is. And that's what the game is all about.
0: Feels so, a bit like Treasure Island, does it?
1: Kind of, but like a you could say it's a light version of yeah, Treasure Island. Okay. So that's what that game is about. It's been out for several years now, and we understand that this is a German competition, yeah. and it's only about what's only just come out in Germany, but I still can't... Get that out of my head that it's a three, four-year-old game. Yeah. And if we want to go jump straight to what should win, again, you've got to look at it from a what could sell, what all this other kind of stuff. In that case, in my eyes, it's Living Forest by A Country Mile because Cryptid is good. It's more of an activity than a game. Even though I own it, I'm happy that I own it. I'm not getting rid of it because I've got nothing else like it. But I think Living Forest is a better game. And Doom and Imperium, even though I like it more than possibly you two like it, it is a game that would be twice as expensive. As we've said, Living Forest is quite cheap, mm. as well as it's an IP. might be a popular IP, but it's an IP that, A, could put some people off, and from a marketing standpoint, German companies might have to pay some yep. dosh to pay some money. some uh, whoever owns the thing for that. Whereas Living Forest, anyone can chuck a big poster or a big picture of that in their front window and go, what's this game? Oh, and it's cheap. Oh, and it takes up the whole table. I reckon Living Forest has got this by a mile. I have to
0: say that I don't normally agree with Leon, (laughs) but in this case, um, I will make an exception. I do think that Living Forest is going to get it. I mean, we had two whole episodes where we talked about Dune Imperium and then uh, Legends of Arnak, Temple of Arnak, Temple of Doom of Arnak, whatever that's called, um, and Ah. how we like the second one better. Living Forest seems like a much, much lighter game than Dune Imperium and probably... For that reason
1: uh,
0: well that's another reason i think it's favored over june imperium um i can't talk about cryptid but from what you sound like yeah i'm, I'm gonna go with living forest i was gonna
1: say take cryptid out and put arnak in here yeah. then we've then we've got a conversation yeah. i think yeah even from a money standpoint obviously living forest is bet for the other ones but garthy boy am i completely correct <sighs> look <laughs>
2: <laughs> cryptid absolutely is an activity yeah uh, it's a fun activity and there are lots and lots and lots of um versions of in terms of replayability yeah dune is the best game yeah out of the three i think dune is the best game for the gamer's game you know the big oh, heavy. It's definitely this, the is, this is this is us we play games rah, 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 rah. Yeah, it's the
1: heaviest by far
2: but that's not what the Bill is anymore it's mm. not heavy it's not all of those those big, weighty and meaty decisions. And that's why these long, big games like you know, Current Hotness Arc Nova is not a nominee, because that's too heavy. I think Dune Imperium is arguably too heavy yeah. to win the Kennispiel.
0: And interestingly, Garth, um, something that I wasn't aware of, but luckily you're in charge of the computer, you've just revealed to us that The Lost Ruins of Arnak was nominated for the Kenner Spiel in 2021. Oh. And I think at that stage perhaps there was only a european version that's why we hadn't seen it or it hadn't made it to australia's shores yet and that's why we hadn't talked about yeah. it so look, and it was nominated and didn't succeed last time so i think for me that means the writing's on the wall for junior
1: yeah. do you have it in front of you what won last year because my memory's shot paleo oh
0: yeah we we were well a thing called COVID happened, and we yes, were We weren't talking about yeah, and we weren't doing a show. Yeah, but so apart from that, we were sort of underwhelmed. I think. Yeah, so, very much. Yeah. Right. So, so
2: look, essentially, while June is the best game, I think it has to be living for us. It's got to win, but again you know, those, those crazy judges, they could pull out a Cryptid.
1: A cryptid has got a shot if you take away the fact that we know it's an older game. It's got a shot, I reckon. But I don't 2018. Think, yeah, but I don't right. think Dune will.
0: Well, there you go. That was episode 333. Three, three. A whole lot of show. And now we've got to go. We've been the Diceman come a on Edge Radio 99.3 FM. We'll be back with you again in a couple of weeks. Check us out. On the podcast, check our social media. We are The Dice Men Cometh, at Dice Men Cometh, pretty much everywhere, but we are out of here. Have a great week. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Stay with
1: him and his wife Claire
2: in their hut on Ben for a couple of nights last Christmas.
0: You've been listening to another episode of The Dice Men Cometh, proudly brought to you by LFG Australia. Be sure to check out lfg-oz.com.au for all the details of their online and physical retail store. You can find us at dicebandcometh.com or on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget, you can support us on Patreon too. Thanks for listening.